Welcome to the Detroit Joe Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about illegal drugs on our streets. The Detroit Recovery Project will lead the way today because there is some new stuff out here now. It's sad to say that for all our lives, we had to hear and see the dangers of illegal drugs on our streets. Even a little child can pick out a drug addict. No matter how rich or poor the neighborhood might be, illegal drugs are just a phone call away. TV has made us think that prescription drugs make for rich addicts and poor folks get their addictions from the streets. At this point of time, we all know better. Before I go any further on this subject, I do believe that cannabis has a place in this country, but you must have a medical card, so I've been told. As a two-time cancer survivor, my health insurance allowed for me to obtain drugs to help me through chemo. I was one of the lucky ones. Several people I knew did not have that option. Needless to say, they suffered through the cancer journey. This was the reason why I voted for legalizing cannabis. Times have changed and people want and need what we once called illegal drugs, which I hate. There are so many illegal drugs on these streets that I can no longer call them by name. Yes, I know about cocaine, heroin, inhalants, and now mushrooms. But now I hear about some new drugs laced with other drugs. People who think that they are just getting a weekend high with their beer are now dying due to this lacing up of weed. I know I can't be the only person with this ignorance, so I called in a person with facts and knowledge. Amanda will give us the facts of what is on our streets that's causing us to die. You will be shocked with what she is about to say and don't think it can't happen to your family. They call it illegal drugs for a purpose. Today, we will hear from Amanda Scott from the Detroit Recovery Project. The Detroit Joe Podcast welcomes Amanda Scott. Before we get started, Amanda, could you tell us a little bit something about yourself and how you got into this field? Yeah, I started at Detroit Recovery Project five years ago after finishing my graduate degree at Wayne State University. I have my master's in public health and my community health education specialist certification and my certified prevention specialist certification to help educate and share information 
related to substance use. I also am a person who identifies as having long-term recovery. Um, so I am someone who previously used substances and have um, not used substances for over 15 years now. Well, congratulations. Thanks. That is wonderful. Thank you. You know, a lot of people believe that drug addicts don't care. They out there because they want to be. And I have noticed that when I was trying to find someone to talk about this problem, it's hard to find help. I mean, there are people such as police, but I didn't want that police attitude. That is looking at drugs as just illegal, as opposed to looking at, well, maybe somebody's sick. So just to find you all, it was very hard. Are there a lot of people like you who people can reach out to? Yeah. So as far as services for substance use disorder go, there are quite a few places you can call, but every place has a certain amount of hoops to jump through. So the first thing is always going to be, who are you insured by? Are you insured by private insurance? Are you insured by Medicare or Medicaid? And if so, that will decide how you get assessed and what level of care or where you can access care um, is available to you. So in the state of Michigan, the way Medicaid and Medicare work is they are dispersed into regions. So we are Detroit, Wayne County is its own region. We have a large enough population to be our whole own region. And our receiver of the Medicaid and Medicare funds for behavioral health services is called Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network. So if you want any kind of behavioral health service in the county of Wayne, you have to go through DUN to be assessed. They will identify what level of care is appropriate for you. So it's not about what you want, but about what they deem proper. And then they will refer you to that level of care and then you'll get an appointment. And it depends. Sometimes there can be up to a two or three week wait to get into an inpatient treatment center. And sometimes we can get someone in on the same day. However, those phone calls can take a very long time. It can take us up to three hours to get through on the phone to get that level of assessment completed and to get that referral for an individual. And most people at this point don't have their own phones. So you have to be in a situation where they can use your phone or they can use a landline to sit there for three hours and go through this process, answer all these questions, and then get assessed for that level of care. And then ideally have their own transportation to get the treatment, which Detroit Recovery Project provides, but that's not always available. So if you think about the small majority of the population that DRP serves, We'll help with that. But for most other people, if you want to access treatment, you have to make all those phone calls by yourself. You have to find the time. You have to find the number, make the call, sit on the phone for two to three hours. If your Medicaid or Medicare has been shut off or is out of a different county, you have to navigate all of that. If you have been living in Wayne County for three years but never changed it on your driver's license, you have to go ahead and fix that before you can go to treatment in Wayne County. Or you have to go back to the county that you originally were addressed in. So there's a lot of hoops. There's a lot to jump through. I mean, private insurance is the same deal. You got to call your private insurance. They decide what level of care you qualify for. They'll tell you where you can go. Those places will also have lists. Then you have to get the transportation. So it requires a certain level of literacy and privilege. You have to have a phone. You have to have enough knowledge to look it up online or figure out where to find that information. Ideally, 
if you're high or have been using or going through withdrawal, all of that's going to be extra difficult. You know, you're intoxicated trying to figure these things out. So it's not an easy process. Like if you want to get help today, at the minimum, it's going to take you five hours right off the bat to get to where you need to go. And then like, you know, we've had experiences where there might be stigma. The other person on the other line might be frustrated with you because you are intoxicated and you have to ask the same question four times. You might not have an ID or birth certificate or proof of insurance because you've been unhoused for the last year. And people can get frustrated with that or not let you into treatment because of that. Sometimes people will have HIV medications, um, but they'll remove the label. So if they're like on the streets, people won't know that the medications are related to HIV. So just take the label off. That way you can't tell what it's for. But then they can't get into treatment with those medications. So you have to wait until you can get them a medication bottle with the proper label on it. So it could take several days before they could go to treatment. If they have comorbidities, so they have other mental health issues, those have to be under control first. So if you're experiencing severe depression, suicidal ideations, or mania, you have to go have that handled first. If you have a severe infection or wound, that has to be handled first. So it's a lot. It's a lot to navigate. It's really difficult. And if you're already tired and you're already struggling, that that's a really hard place to be. You know, listening to that tells me that people need help. In order to get clean, you need help. That's hard. Yeah. And like the rest of our healthcare industry, healthcare ain't free. Nothing is. So when I say that when some of us see some drug addicts, Maybe we need to have a little bit more, you know, compassion and maybe that the, you know, government needs to reach out and really help. Don't say that they're helping, which is another problem that I have with them. What is it that people are getting high off of now? Well, I think right now we see a lot of, um, I mean, we've probably all heard about the opioid epidemic. We see a lot of opioid use right now across the board. That has continued to remain the same, I think, since about 2000. I think 2010, they officially began the timeline for the opioid epidemic. But a series of things has happened over that timeline, which includes cutting of opioids with different types of opioids. So right now, a lot of opioids are cut with fentanyl, which is a highly, it's very deadly. It's very deadly opioid, it's often used in surgeries when you are um, usually put under anesthesia, fentanyl is mixed with that. So it's a very powerful, very potent, very like moderated and controlled substance like within the health system. So the fact that it's on the streets and being used in this way is very concerning. I mean, and there's a lot of conversation about where it's coming from. Yeah, I was going to ask you, if mm-hmm. it's used in the, in the hospital, Are they getting it out of the hospital? Uh, Where is that coming from? It's getting imported. That's Mm. what we know is that it's coming from other places. It seems like it wouldn't be able to make it through at this point, but it is still coming into the States from other places. Wow. We're also seeing a new substance called xylazine, which xylazine is technically a tranquilizer used by veterinarians for animals that are about to receive surgery. So also um, something used for anesthesia, for surgery, just for animals, not for humans. And that uh, substance 
is often paired with fentanyl. It um, creates a longer lasting high, but it also will dangerously decrease your body's blood pressure and can cause decreased healing and increases the likelihood of wounds or other like injuries getting worse or even becoming very infected because your blood can't get there to do what it's supposed to do. I know this is going to sound, you know, stupid and you can say, well, you know, you've been watching too much TV, Mm -hmm. but they show these pills, Mm -hmm. they crush them up and then they cook them like they would crack. Is that how that they're using all these all these drugs? So I think traditionally fentanyl and xylazine in the way that we're seeing them are probably coming in a powdered form. So that is one way people can use pills. Uh, Today, most of the pills you get on market, like if you were to have an opioid prescription from your doctor and go to the pharmacy and get that filled, there are coagulants included in that pill now so that if you tried to break it down and cook it or inject it, it would actually congeal and you would not be able to use it in that way. So it really deters or prevents individuals from using those pills inappropriately or not as they're meant to be used. Mm. You know, I had a experience of I had surgery the day before Thanksgiving. And so uh, the doctor came and checked me out and gave me a, you know, script. Mm -hmm. And my husband went to get it filled on Thanksgiving Day. Rite Aid was open. And she looked at it. She said, I I cannot, I can't fill this. Said, this is the end of the, you know, month. We only get so much. Mm -hmm. So my husband had to drive all the way back to the hospital and the doctor uh, had to prescribe something that the pharmacist there at the hospital could feel. But luckily, I don't have a lot of pain or any pain when I had all those, you know, surgeries. Mm-hmm. And even when they said, you know, I want you to take this pain, pain medicine, my attitude was whatever you shoot in me right after surgery, that's all that I will get. And I'll just take some Tylenol. Because, you know, you're, you are so afraid of everything now. And there are people who really need pain meds. I've been told stories by medical people where there's a person there in the hospital and they assume that they are drug addicts mm-hmm. and they're in pain and they give them nothing. So this has caused a lot of problems for that folks that, you know, really, really need them. Now, we see people that overdose and nobody wants to die. So what is it that's causing them to, you know, die? Is it that they don't know what they're taking or they're taking too much? Um, Let me come back to that in just a second. I wanted to touch on, you mentioned prescriptions and like how those are working now, there's been a lot of changes made to prevent over prescriptions of opioids because a part of the opioid epidemic is identified with this over pushing and over prescribing of Oxycontin specifically, which is where these lawsuits have come into place. Um, The company that made and Mm -hmm. pushed Oxycontin has since been sued. And then we see what happened is like an extreme of the other way, right? So we see that all these people are hooked on pills and instead of figuring out a way to manage pain appropriately, 
we said, okay, so people can't handle opioids at all. Um, most surgeries, you can only get a three-day prescription when you leave. So now we have this other extreme where it's not available. Pharmacies aren't able to get the proper stock. Pain management has become a whole new thing. So this is where it has become like a whole other issue. And it's really, uh, I think it's a sign of like bad policy. Right. Instead of coming up with a thoughtful, meaningful solution, they're like, okay, we'll just get rid of it. And that's not really like opioids exist for a reason, which is pain management. And people do very much experience real pain. And good doctors and good doctoring should have been able to address that in a meaningful way. And that is not what we've seen. We've not seen people cared for properly at all. Um, and I do think that that's important to acknowledge because a good example is the other day I was doing a training and one of the community health workers shared a story with me. Her brother had gone in for surgery over and it was like over a weekend. It was like a Sunday. He ran out of his pain medication, couldn't get a hold of the doctor got a Vicodin from a neighbor that lived across the street. And that Vicodin was what they call pressies. So there are these pills that look just like the pharmaceutical version of it, but they're actually man-made. And that particular pill had more fentanyl in it than other pills. And that person died. Now, mm. that person was not a drug addict. They were not drug seeking. They had had a surgery that required pain management, were not able to get enough of the pain management that they needed and ended up dying. Um, as a result. And like, this is something we're seeing a lot now. So I just think it's really important that extreme answers aren't the right answers either, you know, uh, and that we have to remember that when we see policymakers, you know, like the war on drugs, which has been a really extreme answer to, to people wanting to use substances, has actually been of huge consequence to black and brown populations. Drugs are still here. In fact, we're in an epidemic, but what has happened we're seeing um, more than ever young black folks in prison for life because they got caught with weed three times and we made marijuana legal and those individuals still haven't been freed from Michigan prisons. So it's really clear that like extreme answers are never the right answer. I just wanted to touch on that because you were mentioning it. Mm -hmm. So um, and then overdoses right now. So I looked up there is something called the um, it's the surveillance of opioid substances uh, that U of M compiles every day of local emergency responders that respond to overdoses and the medical examiner reports that respond to overdoses. And they collect information from all over the state of Michigan. So I just pulled Wayne counties for the last 365 days. And what came up was in the last year, so from May 9th, of 2022 to today, which is May 10th, there have been 4,505 EMS overdose responses. It does not say why. Um, so we don't know if it was someone who was using cocaine that had been caught with fentanyl because opioids aren't the only thing being caught now. Or if it was like the gentleman I told you about who overdosed and died from a Vicodin. So we don't really know. Are these individuals that we would identify as someone with a substance use disorder? Or is this someone who was at a bachelor, bachelor weekend with their friends and did a couple lines of cocaine that happened to be caught with fentanyl? Because I think most humans can admit that even though there are people with substance use disorders and we can see them often on the streets and panhandling, a lot of us have used substances in a way that would not be diagnosable, right? At one point or another, we have used a substance and it was for fun or for experimentation or because we were young. And maybe it ended well and maybe it didn't, but 
um, today, those kinds of decisions can end in death due to the high rate of fentanyl being put into cocaine and meth. So like I said, in Wayne County, we experienced 4,505 EMS responses and 902 overdose deaths. So that's just in the last year. And of those overdoses, so the EMS responded, that person overdosed, they revived them. 1,096 of them were actually over the age of 55. So over a quarter of those EMS responses were over the age of 55. And then of the 902 who overdosed and died, 302 were over the age of 55. So over a third of our overdose deaths in Wayne County are over the age of 55. Now, I cannot believe that they are trying to get high. Is it possible that they have an illness? Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is people with substance use disorder. So we have this idea like of the alcoholic is the homeless person with the liquor in the bag sitting on the corner, right? Mm -hmm. um, same idea with the person who has a substance use disorder. But the thing about our area specifically, especially Wayne County and Detroit, is we have a ton of blue collar workers. So we're talking about people who worked in the factory for years and years and years, great incomes, had great health insurance, right? But the thing we know about factory work is it's really hard on you physically and mentally. And a lot of people turn to taking pills or drinking or smoking crack or other things to make that time go by, to deal with like the loneliness or the other issues that might be happening with that. And just because you got older doesn't mean that goes away. This is how you've gotten to dealing with life. Mm -hmm. The way I deal with life and life being uncomfortable is I use substances. So just because I have money and I live in a house doesn't mean that I'm not a drug addict. And just as I look like your uncle that you grew up with <laughs> down the street doesn't mean that I'm not doing heroin on the weekends mm -hmm. or smoking crack on Fridays when my wife is at bingo. <laughs> like, you know, or my wife is smoking crack when she says she's at bingo, you know, quote unquote. Those things don't go away. They stick with us unless we deal with them or find other coping mechanisms. So there is a good chance that those folks are experiencing substance use disorder. There's also a chance that it was a Friday night and they wanted to have something to just take a little bit of extra edge off with their beer. And they got a Xanax or a Vicodin from their neighbor. And there's just so many of those pesky pills going around in the neighborhoods and not just the neighborhood, everywhere right now, that they uh, went to take one of those and it was, it was something that nobody expected. And now they are overdosing. They also say with elderly people, sometimes... They might forget that they took their medication, um, so that they go happens. to take it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened to my um, my papa, my grandpa, and he's, you know, he's 70 and pretty, like, vibrant man. Like, I wouldn't, like, to me, he has no cognizant issues, but mm -hmm. he, he just forgot. He was like, oh, yeah, I didn't take that today. Let me take that. And ended up in a very odd state. Um, and thankfully, he was fine, but. We all thought he lost his mind for a minute because he was just saying very weird things. But he had just happened to take his opioid prescription yeah. double. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of reasons why it could be that they aren't getting the medication they need. They're not getting the pain management they need. They never learn the proper emotional coping mechanisms. We could add in generational trauma on top of that, especially in Detroit. Yeah, where you're just looking for a way to feel a little bit better, feel a little relief. Mm -hmm. And it ends in and someone dying. I was, uh, I had gone out and I was coming home and luckily I was driving slow and I turned the corner and I looked, I blinked and I stopped. What is that? What is that? 
and it was a person. And this is in broad daylight. Here's a person laid out there. So I pulled over to him real, real close because I wanted to look at him. And I also didn't want anybody to run over him because I almost ran over him. Mm-hmm. So I called 911 and they answered immediately. And I told them what I was looking at. And they asked me, they said, is he breathing? I said, yes, I can see him breathing. And then he said, uh, do you see blood? I said, no, I don't see any blood. And I felt like they were going to ask me some more, you know, questions. And I said, you all need to get somebody out mm-hmm. here. So they hurried up. And in no time, the um, police car came and he got out and he blocked off the other side. So we wouldn't have someone running over him. And that the policeman said, well, maybe it's an overdose. And whatever that they use for overdose, he obviously did not have one, which was a good thing because when 911 came, that, you know, woman, she jumped out. She had her bag and she was getting ready to work out on him. And she got down in and she talked to him. And she says, oh, we are going to take him in. She says, he has not overdosed. Oh, and I saw, I was like, oh, well, you know, good. And then she turned to me and she said, thanks. Thanks for calling. I said, thanks for calling. She said, yeah. I said, but isn't that what a human being does? And she said to me, you would be surprised. And that, oh, that hurt me. That hurt me that people see folks who have fallen out and they don't even call to see if there's something that they can do to help them. And sometimes we as individuals need to think about, well, what can we do? What are some of the things that we can do? Yeah. So I think one of the things is at this day and time, I suggest everyone carry Narcan. You can get it for free from Detroit Recovery Project. Mm -hmm. You can stop in. We keep loads of it around. The version we keep is a nasal spray. Most people feel more comfortable with that um, versus doing the injection. And the reason we suggest that is because you don't know if it's an elderly neighbor or friend or family member who took their medication twice. You don't know if it's someone that took a, like we talked about, like the pressy, the fake pill that that um, gentleman took when he was recovering from surgery. Like you never know when and where someone in your life might be experiencing an overdose. And I think we assume that it's not going to be in our lives because I don't know anyone who shoots heroin. But like, that's just not the case anymore. It could be anyone, anywhere, at any time for any reason. The other thing is you're not going to hurt anyone if you use Narcan. So Narcan isn't going to cause any damages. Okay. So if you, if someone falls out and I put Narcan into their nose while I'm calling 911, right? Because it's just a nasal spray. Like the gentleman that you found, it wouldn't have caused any damage. And if he had been overdosing, it would have helped started starting the reversal process. The other thing we're seeing right now is that people like overdosing from xylazine mixed with fentanyl is that Narcan can help reduce some of the consequences, but it might not wake the person up, but it might prevent some of the suppression that is happening to the lungs, to the breathing system. So it might help reverse some of that so that they can breathe better so that they're getting more oxygen to their brain 
preventing some of the damage that could have happened if they hadn't been hit with that Narcan. And Narcan, over several hours, it will detach from the neurotransmitters. So if you need to um, receive some kind of treatment that does involve opioids, they'll be able to provide that treatment shortly after. So it doesn't inhibit treatment later either. So if you're in a situation, we've had people have their neighbors come over because they knew they carried Narcan and revive like a nephew. We've had people say they used it in church. People say they use it at the grocery store. I personally have used it at concerts. Um, I have a couple other friends who've used it at local shows. And, you know, Detroit is a music city. Mm -hmm. There's always live music. And that's always an optimal place for substances to be in the mix. So that's always a good place to have it. I have recently found out that the police in Detroit are not provided with Narcan. So even though police officers are often the first responders due to um, potential harm that could come to EMS, so even if you call EMS, the police are going to show up first to make sure the space is safe. So they did it right. Mm-hmm. But they're also the people who could probably prevent that overdose. Like if it took just a few minutes longer for that EMS to get there, if it had been an overdose and that officer had been able to respond, it could save a life. So how do we help our local police departments consider carrying Narcan? So you can go to your precinct meetings. You can go to the city council meetings and suggest that they mandate that for the city of Detroit. We work closely with the 11th and the 9th precinct and we provide them Narcan so that their officers can carry Narcan. But I think we can ask our officials to do more and to raise more awareness. I think it's especially important right now because we're really seeing that this isn't if you're someone who used substances. This is a, a community issue. This is everyone is experiencing this issue. We've figured out things like you can even hit a dog with Narcan because they were finding dogs that had overdosed because they ate their owner's Own stuff. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So we as citizens need to put a little pressure probably on the city government to increase the budget for the policemen so that they can help. Because uh, as I was telling you, the police were there quick, thank God, because I was scared for him. You know, I, I didn't want this man to, you know, die. But after I called up ambulance, my sister called me and she said, don't get out that car. And I said, why? She says, don't get out the car. You don't know what else is going on. Mm-hmm. Because she was in an incident. She, she, she lives in Philly and it was on a Friday afternoon. And she said, we're on the phone talking. She says, well, I have to go to the grocery store. I said, well, I've got to go to the grocery store, too. (laughs) So she, we both, I guess, took off to the grocery store. And we're coming back home. And my car phone goes off. And she said, the first thing she says, and there are certain phrases you don't want to hear. And she said, I'm okay. Hmm. Okay. You're okay. And what had happened was that going into the grocery store during broad daylight, they were shooting at this one man. Mm. And what she didn't know, the man was behind her. Oh, no. But out of the grace of God, the bullet stayed in him. She was covered up with blood, but at least the bullet stayed right there in her. You know, and I tell folks, you don't know what can happen. Mm-mm. And you think that your family, you you know, I, I will hear parents say, my kids are so good. They don't use, you know, drugs. 
when your kid goes out to college, even goes to some of these high school parties, you don't know what they are doing. You don't know what you're taking half of the time or how your body is going to, you know, react. I know that in Florida, the doctors and pharmacists really don't even want to prescribe it. They don't want to uh, sell it because they're after them. Because the United States has says, okay, this is partially, it is a um, police, you know, problem. It's not. It is public health. It is. And we have trouble in this country separating crime from public health. We do. And the people that end up um, suffering, that's all of us, yeah. you know. Growing up, well, I was like 18 and I was protected. I had parents that protected you from everything. I never saw a drug addict until I was 18 that I can say that was a drug addict. I went to school in um, New York mm -hmm. and I was hanging out. And one of my girlfriends, who was a part-time user, and she says, oh, my God, look at that heroin addict. And I looked at him and it looked like something right off of a TV. Yeah. And that was the first time that I was exposed to drugs in a different city until I came back home and I was teaching and um, realized that my student loans were eating up everything. So I had to get a part-time job teaching and I taught at the um, Women's Correction Center. There, I saw the heroin. Mm -hmm. I saw what heroin can do to a person's a body, but I also saw and realized nobody wants to get sick. Mm -mm. And surely in hell, don't nobody want to die. And then when you have a student that, you know, dies, and you're also teaching that person's son during the, you know, daytime, that was a scenario that I will never forget. Never, never forget. Is there anything else that you think that we don't know that we should know? Yeah, I think we talked about it all. It's really remembering that um, substance use and the risk of overdose doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care how old, how young, how white, how black you are. It will kill you and it will take away everything that's important to you, even if you can keep the outside looking okay. Mm. It's a real lonely place to be. And you never know, and I think this is something we talk about a lot in general these days, but you never know what's happening in that person's life. That's right. And so just taking that time to be a little bit more compassionate um, and just remembering that, like, you know, if these things were solvable, if we could just, if I could just get up and, like, brush my shoulders off and be done with it, so many of us would. And that it's not that easy then I think we can come at things with a different kind of compassion where we could help each other a little more. I think sometimes we forget how hard it can be or we know how hard we worked and we don't understand why others won't work that hard too. But we don't know. Like I have one client who, um, you know, he worked really hard for a long time and then he got sick and then he started smoking crack and then his wife left him and took the children and now nobody talks to him. You know, and then he ended up living under a bridge and then he lost most of both of his feet and both of his hands. But we're talking about a person who for most of their life was just like any of our neighbors right now. Mm -hmm. 
And we just never know. So if we can take that with us everywhere and everything we do, I think we could help a lot more people. And stigma, I think, causes a lot more damage than anything else, right? So once again, we need to change our attitudes. We really do. Well, Amanda, you taught me a lot. And, you know, sometimes people can be so ignorant, like me in terms of drugs, that you're too afraid to ask. And people think that they know, and they really don't know. So it is important to get the right information from the right, you know, person. And I want to thank you. And if there's anything that you think that we can do, or if you want to come back on this show and talk about, like maybe there's a brand new drug that has hit this city, please feel free. I see a lot and I wish that I had the intelligence or that the strength to help a lot of people. So thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. And now for my two cents, and it's really two cents because Amanda has said everything that needs to be said, but there is no running away from this social problem. The United States government needs to stop blaming doctors and pharmacies for this illness. Maybe the government should spend more time in stopping all these drugs from coming into our country. And if you're like me and travel outside of the country, you have been approached by drug dealers. This is not a problem just in the United States, but all over the world, because there's some big money involved. Well, that's just my two cents. This is Detroit Joe signing off. And whatever you do, walk in love and peace.